0: You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. In five, four, three, two, and one, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 40 freaking eight of the Art of Move podcast with myself, Anthony Manuel, my good friend, Dr. William Raybar. We're out here trying to create the grand unified theory of human movement and biomechanics and training, and we're joined today by the owner of the handcraft, Ruiz Dael, also known as Rudy Rivera's. Approach is a simple one. Move better, feel better, do more. Using slow motion video, he highlights the good and the bad to give you the tools to move with less pain and optimized performance. There is no bigger motivator than to move free of insecurity. By taking a tonic approach to fitness, he instills the do what you love and never work a day in your life mentality to develop positive behavior patterns and speed up skill acquisition because the open secret to success is consistency. Handcraft your own results ASAP. Rudy, what's going on, man? It's really, really great to have you on here today. Thank you for
1: having me. Just gotta fix this real quick. Sorry. Got to there we go.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, we're really stoked to have you on here today because I know you have a really deep fascination with a lot of martial practice and movement, and that's yes. some area that Will is really passionate about. And I don't have a ton of expertise or experience in. And uh, and I know that you guys are probably going to geek out a lot about some some martial arts <laughs> elements of movements today. So if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of take more of a passive seat. I'll, I'll ask questions from a beginner's lens, and you yeah, guys yeah. can geek out about some of the some of the specifics today.
1: Hundred
2: mm-hmm. yeah, percent. Yeah. So first of all, Rudy, um, how did you get into coaching? How did you get into uh, mixed martial arts or boxing? And where did your interest start?
1: Um. So officially, like when I started to do uh, like a, a studied learning and practice, I was 19 years old. I had just started doing security and I was working in a place that was savory and uh, I knew that I needed um, some way to be able to, to to handle myself. It was a pool hall that had uh, party events and I've, I played sports, you know, I always had an athletic uh, background, but... It's it's different. You know, like if I go and tackle somebody like using my football experience and we end up on the ground, then I'm still in danger if his friends decide to approach me. So I knew that I was going to need some way to defend myself while still being quick and mobile. So I started looking into um, Muay Thai specifically. And the reason why I chose Muay Thai is because it's the art of the eight limbs. I'm going to be able to use my hands, but maybe I don't want to break my hands. So maybe I have to use an elbow or a knee. And you learn clinching, which is you're going to get in a lot of clinches, even if you're just trying to take somebody off the premises. Um, And I thought it was good for self-defense, you know, and it was really cool because Anderson Silva was knocking people out and I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And um, that's where it like started, started. Um, and then I learned a whole bunch of other things. I learned boxing, because boxing helps your Muay Thai. Um, I learned BJJ. I'm still a white belt, though. Uh, wrestling, um, self-defense, a whole bunch of stuff. And it's been on and off since uh, with respect to injuries and um, also focusing on different types of strength and conditioning. Like, originally I was into bodybuilding, and then it went to power lip. Powerlifting, Olympic lifting, functional training, um, and, like, the original functional training, like, where you're, like, doing, like, a one-legged stand on a BOSU ball to increase stability and your brace core and all that. And, um, yeah, that, that was kind of like my mind was in two worlds it's i want to be a good fighter and i want to be fit enough to be better than everybody else and that's what led me to try and create the handcraft to help people not only strengthen themselves but be able to handle handle themselves when the time is necessary or you know sport application as well
2: very nice and so are you a go-to coach i'm I'm not sure about that yes i'm a certified go-to coach yes OK, so, yeah, that's why we agree on. A lot of the, the topics, you know, on your stories. I'm like, yeah, this guy gets it right here. Right? <laughs> so this is going to be awesome. Yeah. Just a little bit on my background. I, I boxed growing up high school, nothing major. Um, and I kind of quit, you know, university uh, for about 10 years and, and I came back to it. I was in CrossFit, did bodybuilding, did powerlifting, went into CrossFit and just wanted to stop lifting so much got back into just, you know, cardio wise hitting the bag. And I was like, oh, I love this. I forgot how much I actually love this hitting the bag, working the boxing movements from there. I got into boxing for pretty heavily for a couple of years. And then now it's just, Hey, why don't I take slow motion video and try to instill it in myself, go part by part. What is Mayweather actually doing? What is Canelo actually doing to create the forces that he's doing? And let's copy it because I can, right? So um, that's kind of where I'm at now. And it's a better way to learn because I can see something and go attempt it. And once you do that, you kind of get the nuances to what, what is going on. Right. Is it a similar experience for yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, I found the reason what, the reason why go resonated with me so much was because I was a, a film rat. Like I, I, I played defense in high school and I knew that, you know, the smart guys, the aware guys are gonna see how things happen before it happens. Like, you know, you're, you're reading the formation, you see something and you're like, okay, I can make a play, my decision is much faster because I've seen this before, I know what to expect. I know when, when this guy goes here, the quarterback is gonna do this or that and third thing. And then that also translates to fighting, you know, strategy, this guy loves to do this in this situation, so on and so forth. Um, and I was already looking at videos and, and, and such, but just never slowing it down to the point where I'm trying to study it biomechanically. That was where CODA came in. And it just fit. It's like I'm already studying the fight anyway. But maybe I can find something here. And, uh, you know, doing your martial practice, you know, turning that back foot, it all just clicked as well. You know, bows, corners, this rotation. When you're fighting, when you're martial training, there's a lot of rotation. And, it just helped me click and I find that it's easy for me to click with other people who are in combat sports or martial practice because they come from that realm. They understand that the pivoting and the and the rotation and being supple, not hard all the time. And um, yeah.
2: Anthony, do you have any questions on that right off the get go or
0: uh, not off the get go? I, li- I like that. So, So, you know, I do have a bit of experience in martial practice. But that was before that I, before I even got into thinking about um, fitness as a whole. And what I found interesting was like, as I'm revisiting my martial practice now, I'm getting into a little bit of things like basic boxing. And, and um, when I, when I started it, I was in high school, right? I was, uh, I was in a town called Amherst, Nova Scotia, and I would train boxing in this basement gym of this this old black dude always wearing the same black tank top and could beat the shit out of anyone who, who came in there, right? And, and for me, it was like he would just show me basic movements, and I, was, and I wasn't thinking about how it should feel in my body or the quality. It was just like, do this, and I did it. Um, and coming back to it now... Um, from the perspective of someone who's you know been in fitness for a long time and had that bodybuilding background, that weightlifting background, one of the things that I noticed is that I'm overanalyzing what I'm supposed to be doing all the time, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure out like where am I where am I going. Whereas before, I was like almost like movement innocent. It was like mm-hmm. do this movement. And I was like okay, and I just, you know I just did the thing without overanalyzing what it was that I should be doing. So the question is, do you find that? you know, in that analytical mindset, is there a bit of a transition between uh, making these movements consciously to unconsciously competent? Do you find that you find yourself overthinking or overanalyzing your own movements, or is it something that you can kind of observe and then play with and you, you don't think about your movement too much as you're doing it in a martial practice?
1: I think it's uh, I think it's both. I think you can overthink it, and I think coming from a bodybuilding background where you're trying to have this mind-to-muscle connection, and you're really thinking about that movement, making sure you really feel it where you're trying to feel it, also power lifting form, right? I got to make sure my form is good because I want to hit this PR, and you kind of, if you come from that background and bring it into your martial arts you're going to do that as well. Like, Oh, my hook doesn't feel good or it's not as hard as this guy's because his bag is making much more noise. I think it is good and bad, like anything where you can overthink things, but sometimes thinking about how you're doing something can help you improve it. It's all about what I do is I try to make you aware of a position instead of just saying, do this, do that, do this, do that. If I can get you to do something with as little cueing as possible, you're looking for intrinsic feedback. And yeah. that to me is the key to helping these behaviors change. So I'll I'll say, do this, right? Do what I'm doing. And if they kind of get there, I'm like, all right, that's good, now let's try to, I train things from two different spectrums too, either really, really easy or really explosive because either way it's, you're working on that movement on two ends, if that makes sense, right? You're working on it on the macro, and the micro, which will help you kind of piece together the puzzle. And then over time, you'd hope to see growth until you see something like, all right, now that's what we're looking for uh, technique wise, Um, like specifically, if I'm looking for someone to get more hip drive in their, uh, in their punches, you're going to see the hip turn first before the shoulders, because if they don't, if they're really stiff or braced, they're going to do a lot of this do a lot of like horizontal flexion, which don't get me wrong, getting punched in the face is not fun, right? But there's a difference between a stiff jab and a touch jab, right? I can pepper somebody or I can say, back up, I need you to give me some space. And um, you'll, if you watch UFC or boxing or MMA, you'll see fighters instinctually respect the jab because they'll be more hesitant to fight or they'll be more on their back foot or they'll be more flinchy. And that is, what uh i try to get people to have in their striking capabilities striking is not just being smart about it it's also having the ability to make someone respect you because then i can make more opportunities just by oh, i'm gonna hit you and then i get a strong flinch and there's like up oh, you left your ribs open mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's kind of how i approach it
2: i agree with with both of you there like the analytical um really thinking about the movements you don't want to do that in a fight like if, if you're in the ufc you never want to be thinking yes, obviously right yes, but it's it's the same type of thing as you know like a go to exercise you really want to drill the perfection and then it'll come out during the time when you're when you're stressed right so that's what you're really looking for and there's internal versus external cues too right like i can i can have the best cueing i can watch the slow motion i can make my body do the movements but internally. Am I generating the power properly? Am I sequencing? Am I confident? There's all those things that aren't biomechanical as well, right, When it in, with regards to the fighting. So you can't really always go analytical, but you have to at times. A, yeah. a little bit of a story, um, when I was you know, in, in high school boxing, it was more my coach was like, just get in there and you'll figure it out. And, and you do, you figure it yeah. out yeah. with people who are better than you, but you take a lot of damage and you build a lot of bad habits so you'll see a lot of fighters actually become pro this way as well right and they're guys who can take a lot of hits and keep going that's the way that they learned but a guy like mayweather is calculated he doesn't go in there and just spar and get beat up Mm. he's measuring to the exact millimeter and he's he's going for that right so that's a little bit of the nuance for me there
1: and also his he's been doing it since he was a kid so He's been, let's say, let's, if we're putting him on a spectrum, right. Of like, let's say it was a go to 10. He's been a go to 10 since he was a kid and it's carried over to the point where he's 50 and oh. So he doesn't have to think about much at all, allowing him to think tactically in real time, which is incredibly important when you know, you're limiting your oxygen. Um, that, that, yeah. Yeah.
2: He's always saying that himself. He's like, it, he prides himself on the intelligence of his boxing. Yeah. He's like, I'm I'm one step ahead mentally. I'm I'm constantly adjusting. He always brags about his adjustments. Where yeah. most boxers are like my prowess, my uh, my speed, my power. He's like, "No, no, no. I make adjustments and I'm I'm more intelligent. Even if you're beating me this round, I calculate and then I'm going to have a different style next round to yes, overcome yeah. what I saw." Real-time
1: adjustments. Any any fighter like the the thing about like what you'll see in pad work and bag work that beginners don't realize is that it's kind of like choreography you're building the muscle memory but in a fight especially in a combat sport where somebody has studied you you have to be able to think on the fly like improvisational dance or something to, in order to As like okay so now I see this person does this in this situation so I'm going to think of what sequence is going to allow me to take advantage of that and that's something that's really complicated that you have to think on the fly which is going to be muddied if you're like is my hook doing this or am i throwing with power if you can ingrain it in the gym right and then autonomically be able to pull it out you'll be able to think more tactically in real time
0: so the so the deliberate kind of thinking element is you're you're sort of drilling things to the point where they can be unconscious yeah and then you know like my brother is very very into jujitsu and i did a little bit he showed me a little bit and we were very very into Uh, watching jujitsu fights and watching jujitsu tournaments and we kind of like laughed. It was like, you know, sweaty rolling around chest where these people are trying to predict the next move and they're they're really there's there's a lot of muscle memory because they're drilling the same transitions they're drilling the same submissions they're drilling the same shit over and over and over to the point where it's unconscious but the thing that you have to be conscious of is paying attention to what the other person is doing and trying to predict what they're doing Mm
1: -hmm. Uh,
0: so so what the the conscious element is practicing to the point where there is unconscious competency you do want to overthink it almost in the practice element Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in the same way, like if you're if you're relating it to a weightlifting situation um, or a powerlifting thing, you you deadlift at a super super light weight. This was what was my philosophy was like. I'm going to deadlift frequency at a light weight so that my technique is so dialed in that when I'm lifting at my heaviest, it looks the same as as when I'm lifting at my lightest.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so when you're in those high stress situations, you're so practiced and your your nervous system is so used to these things that you can, like you said, you can pull them out on the fly. Um, so I guess that, that makes sense. It's, it's practice. It's neurological, uh, patterning. And do you, do you practice, how would you practice the transitions or the reactions to, you know, a situation in a fight? Like, like you said, you're, you're, you're doing, you're talking on a level of like setting up jabs to see if you can create other openings for the next move. Is there a way that you, uh, practice setting up moves and following through with them? Is there a, a way that you practice reactions? I guess you obviously need a training partner to be mm-hmm. able to do some of these reactionary training things, but how, yeah. how much do you uh, practice the actual situational stuff and the situational drilling and the transitional
1: drilling? If you're like, uh, hmm. I mean, it, you, you, you'll you see that in the very basics in the beginning, especially like just getting people to understand the concept of a one and a two. Right. You got to first get them to understand the purpose of a jab. And the jab is basically like the icebreaker. And you have to like it's your my coach uh, says um, it's like you're trying to create a sentence. Right. And there's the first word that starts the sentence off. Right. But you have to learn the alphabet first. You have to learn it letter by letter. Your jab is a. You have to learn your jab because your jab is going to be what sets everything up. If I throw a double jab, right, and then I kind of fake this one and throw a right and you react to my first one, then that is a very basic combo that you learn at the very beginning, right? It's just one and two. And you can say that is basically a situational thing, right? That's if you're in a fight, you have to learn, am I going to be doing this one or this two, then you can get a little bit more complicated and say, well, this individual likes to slip his head whenever I throw a hook so I can throw a hook and follow it up with an uppercut. But then that's a little bit more nuanced. That's real time problem solving. Um, so I would say, um, I would say it's, it's pretty much from the very beginning. It's just about how much more in depth you're going to go with it because that's what you're trying to learn, experience and embody it when you absolutely need it. You know, when your adrenaline is pumping and it's harder to think.
2: Yeah. I can add a little bit of experience that with, with boxing, most people start out shadow boxing and on the bag, right? And when you're on the bag, most people want to just go ham on it and just hit it as hard as possible, but you're not learning any distance. You're not learning footwork. You're just, your mind is fixated on the bag and that's never how it goes in real life. (laughs) No, no, no. Bags don't hit back and you need the footwork, the in, the out, the rhythm of, it's like a dance. It's like you're dancing in one spot and just shaking really hard. That would be like most people on the bag at first. However, once you start uh, in the ring and actually even light sparring, you start to understand that it's a back and forth dance and there's a rhythm to it. And you have to follow the rhythm. Even if like, let's say somebody throws a hard punch at me, I have to be able to deflect it with the same energy. Where if someone throws a soft punch, I don't need to deflect it hard, right? So there's always the, the back and forth that you can only learn in the actual application itself in the sport. But then once you learn it, I can go back to shadow boxing and have my imagination be like the person is in front of me. If I can use that imagination there, Um, I can make my shadow boxing much more like real life. And that's kind of what I do now. I don't have a lot of sparring partners and I'm more interested in the movements behind it, even though I love sparring and I love both, I'm not trying to be a combat athlete. So I can take those movements I can imagine a sparring partner and I can have just as much fun with it, um, doing that dance, but really you need to be in the mix and, and know what's, what's going to happen there.
1: Yeah. Sparring, sparring is important when it comes to development because, um, You get punched in the face and you realize what is going to be your reaction to certain things because you you feel really good but uh, like he's he was touching on about dance i feel like dance and fighting are almost they're flip sides of the same coin because you have the choreography aspect right you're 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 putting in this timing there's a percussive rhythm to it and if i go off rhythm that might surprise you um yeah
2: Yeah. We can talk about, uh, how professional fighters do it, right? Like, uh, let's take a Lomachenko who's a boxing champion right now. Um, amazing best amateur record of all time. It was almost like 401 or something like that. Ridiculous winning 400 fights, losing one. Okay. So when he's going in there, he, he actually took three years off and just did Ukrainian dance, which is very, very, uh, footwork heavy, right? Very extremely. If you youtube that you can see it so that has helped his boxing he has the best footwork and therefore the most technical boxer he was allowed to develop that because he had that next level footwork and it is a back and forth and he can just do better dance moves than the other guy and create different angles to uh really take advantage and and in boxing and martial arts angles is where it's at you come in at an angle for The most part, you never want to come in straight. Well, I shouldn't say never, you mostly yeah. never want to come in straight, right? So, some people want to try? just go right
1: at you, go to town. There are people more durable individuals will tend to use that strategy. Um, but yeah,
2: Mexican style boxing, right? Like, uh,
1: a- style, or um, I want to say Dutch kickboxing, high mm-hmm. guard square walking right at you and they're gonna throw a lot of power shots so like heavy tie kicks and you see lots of hooks um this uh or or even like uh like if there's this fighter from the old days boxer actually his name was henry armstrong he's like one of the forefathers of like inside fighting and he uses his head kind of like a unicorn where he just drives right into you because he's going to control your posture back chain versus front chain so he's going to be in a more optimal position for power. Even though he's going to get hit, he's in a better position because he's back chain, he's in that athletic position with his hips behind his ribs, and he can rotate. And he's pushing his opponent off balance. They'll try to kind of, like, cover up above him. But it's just going to lead to helping him open shots. And also, just by turning, I can open up steps. I show him a transition. It's going to create a little bit more opening in his midsection. section. You know,
2: Sorry, the volume
1: was... volume was a little bit off.
2: Yeah, we can't yeah, him, read there, Anthony. Look
1: at him walking. Him. And there's, there's a bunch of fighters that Joe yeah. Frazier actually did something a little bit different against um, Ali. He used something called a cross guard, but mm-hmm. he was pushing into Ali, trying to get them into situations where their footwork would actually be um, not detrimental, but uh, minimized. Right. Because if I can pressure you and kind of put you into a position while at the same time getting that angle, it's like a battle for percentages of who's going to hurt who more. Right. I want to be in the best position to do power to you and to not be hit, which is almost always at an angle, because if I angle away from your power hand, it's going to be harder for you to hit me on either side, and it's going to open up my ability to hit you. Um, and you can think of that whether you're up tight in a phone booth or if you're fighting at range. Uh, someone who's good at creating crazy angles with crazy footwork, Dominic Cruz. He was he can get inside, outside range, and he was like one of the first, like I don't want to say weird styles because it sounds kind of disrespectful, but certainly different. Certainly different. Yeah. If you watch his footwork, which he based off of Willie Pep another older fighter. Um, yeah. It's it's not your usual back and forth. Maybe I slip left, slip right. He would add such weird head slots and, and footwork that it would confuse opponents, almost like he was dancing. And, you know, he would get hits. He would land on people.
2: He was doing a lot of shifting. So basically when you punch, your other foot travels forward. So you're always switching which one's the lead foot. It's very confusing for people who um, haven't seen it. And because not a lot of guys do it, you don't get a lot of those looks anyway, right? So um, it's very hard to predict what the guy's going to do. Because now instead of one foot forward, he can have both feet forward. He can switch them, so it opens up the opportunities on both angles. And the opposing fighter has to think of a lot more. So yeah. it's interesting what you said with the uh, with the head in the in the body and all that. Like, uh, did you watch uh, Isaac Cruz versus uh, Gervonta Davis?
1: No, I didn't. I only saw what was on Instagram.
2: Okay. Just so basically it was one boxer and, and it's interesting because he has the Mexican style where he goes straight in and he's coming at you and people who bounce back and forth like a Muhammad Ali, that's their game. They're, they want you to lure you in and then back off. But if you're just going to bulldog into them, they can't do it. So you're willing to take the hits to get inside and then do your work. Right? So a lot of the Mexican guys will do that. They'll hold real tight, and look at how tight Cruz's guard is, and he's stalking him, right? And Gervonta's probing with his jab, and now he gets him in the corner, and he's in trouble. He's not used to this, even though he's one of the best fighters in the world, right? Look at how tight that guard is, and he's coming in. And if you watch Cruz like this, this guy is like a little Mike Tyson. He'll come in. Yeah, he'll just bulldog yeah, his just, way he'll in. See that, right? Exactly, he'll bulldog his way in, and with other guys other than Gervonta Davis, if you watch any of his other fights, he's getting in there and he's just punishing the body, and the guys are not used to it; they're just getting hurt. That's still uh, Gervonta Davis. If you can go to another fight of his, just like Isaac Cruz versus anybody versus who? else, um, yeah, that guy, sure. You'll you'll just see it within within seconds, most likely, or maybe Isaac Cruz highlights or something like that. But as soon as you start, yeah, there it is right there, right? Like as soon as he starts, he just drops you because he's willing to just take a couple hits, holds a high guard, kind of like Peter Yawn, where he's very disciplined with keeping his he- head, hands at his head. He doesn't let go until the opportunity presents, and then the guy can't do anything, even if he's a, a better mover, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect of it as well. Yeah,
1: definitely. I, um, I, so part of what I do is I'm working on, trying to create a martial arts system that is relating back to how we move, right? Um, Because I figured if my walking is helping me with my skill acquisition, then I'm always going to be developing some form of combat necessity, right? If my hip is turning over when I'm running, when I really need it to turn over when I'm hitting, I'm going to have it there reflexively, and that's what I'm trying to um, obtain. Um, So one concept of like besides thinking i instead of thinking bouncy and more uh i'm gonna kind of put you into a corner with my presence right if that makes sense yep um i think front leg bow back leg bow right Mm -hmm. right so if i'm gonna walk somebody down i'm kind of rocking in this because if i come forward i can i have the load for the front hand if I come backwards, I got it for the backhand. If I come backwards, I have a counter hook. If I come forward, I have a slip. I, I have options. But the base, right, rigid foot, bows and corners, energy flip. Boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom. And it works regardless. So I when I first learned boxing, it was kind of counterintuitive to what I was learning in Thai. In Thai, it's high guard. You even want to be out here kind of a little bit. And i was taught the philly shell and the philly shell is that's what floyd mayweather uses you're much more bladed muay thai you're going to be much more square right yes exactly one hand low one hand like this and you're thinking well your chin is exposed right but if i just put a back leg bow right this shoulder comes forward so any jab that comes down this way has to come through my shoulder and you know if you look at canelo canelo sometimes just just by saying no he dodges punches so not only do you have to compete with this if I add that head roll I can stand right in front of you and not take any damage yeah yeah if I posted a video to my story of me using a spar bar Mm -hmm. first thing I like to do is I get up right to my nose right then I pull back maybe a hair and I want to smack it and I just want to desensitize myself Mm -hmm. to the stimulus because even when I'm doing that, and I've been doing this for years, I get flinchy, like, oh, shit, is it going to hit me? Because you feel the wind, and it does hurt when it hits you, because it feels like when it smacks you, it's not fun. And I just let that go by, go by, go by. And then once I feel comfortable, like, all right, this is easy, I'll bring it a little bit closer to about right here. And then if it will hit me unless I say no. So that's probably a drill you've seen before in my story, maybe you will have, where I kind of move out the way and then throw that counter because yeah. I want to, def- I want to develop that autonomic response. But again, it's going to be me saying no is just an energy flip, right? I'm just building tension on this side, and then I release it. Boom, plyometrically, and that's where you start to get the snappy touch of death power versus this straight. I call I call it a front chain punch versus a back chain punch because front chain I don't right. need to rotate. And it's going to hurt, don't get me wrong, it's going to hurt somebody, but not all people, right? There's punches when I throw in the back chain, it doesn't matter if it hurts you. You If it hits you in the right spot, you're going to go to sleep, or even if you fully block it, it's much more jarring. That person will respect your striking attempts much more.
2: So who'd, who would you say exemplifies that energy flip? Uh, right off the top of my head, Tyson, right off like yeah. that... Tyson. Boom,
1: boom, boom, boom. Jack Dempsey was a forefather who was Tyson's, uh, like everyone has that fighter that you're like, Oh, I want to be that guy. Right. And that was his, he modeled a lot of his game off of, uh, Jack Dempsey. You see a lot in tie, right. A lot of tie combos are like two hooks and a kick. Um, and, uh, Ramon Deckers, he's a good example of someone that flips yeah. energy. He's known for being insanely powerful. Um, there's there's. role there's like Rod Tang, Rod Tang.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be most of these guys who can come forward and be successful and have knockout power, right? Like I would think would exemplify that type of um, energy transfer. Mm-hmm. And th- they you know. even...
1: Like Floyd is as well, but see the reason if i I think he's much more of a genius than people give him credit for because he is able to do this flip with even the tightest of windows with the straightest of lines when it comes to fire right where if you imagine uh the canelo hook right canelo tends to be really round and wide when he reaches over for that hook yes he does And when you look at Floyd, everything is just so, so tight when he throws punches. But if you think about it, he's kind of pre-rolled in a particular way already. So all he has to do is like this little nudge and boom, that's where the rotation comes from. Now, he wasn't known as a power hitter or much more aggressive fighter in his later career, but he also had hand issues. He was breaking his, uh, I, I believe he broke his right hand. I don't necessarily remember. And there was one fight in particular where he um, he won clearly, but the fighter he was going against he considers one of his hardest fights even to this day post retirement. Um, Emmanuel and Augustus. He was complaining about his hand. Uh, yeah, exactly, Emmanuel Augustus. Um, and even though Augustus was getting beat clearly, he was still coming forward like a, like like a zombie. You know what I mean? Like taking taking the hits and basically not. He was composed. Right. A lot of people. You know, you have this feeling like, oh, I'm going to kick this guy's ass. It's a championship fight. I deserve to be here. And then you get demolished. It's very uh, demoralizing. I feel that when I'm in sparring and I'm like, this guy is hitting me way more than he should. Like, I need to be tightening things up. I can only imagine if when, you know, people are watching you, millions of people are watching you uh, get beat by someone like Floyd Mayweather. You start to get demoralized. But he just kept coming forward. And, and even though Mayweather won, he earned his respect because of his composure, his toughness. And you can hear it even when he's in the fight. You know, he's like, I th- my hand hurts. My hand hurts. There's something wrong with my hand. And I think that is how he became much more of a defensive counterfighting genius because he wanted to spare his hands for the length of his career, which, I mean, he's 50 and 0, and we consider him the best defensive fighter probably of all time, even though, you know, every, anything is arguable when it comes to fighting.
2: Absolutely. Um, so with Mayweather, um, so pretty boy Floyd was his original, like from when he was young and he was much more aggressive back then. And then there was a point where he became money Mayweather and he became more calculated and, uh, more intelligent, but less aggressive. Do you think it was because of the hand and does that have anything to do with how he does pads? Cause he does very unique pad work that I don't see almost anybody else do what is it about that this is a two-part question what is it about that pad work that works so well and why aren't people doing it
1: um people do do it you know like sometimes what it is is you don't see everything in hype videos in media because you can't give away the whole bag you know what i mean sometimes things do come out um yeah like that 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 this hitting the pad softly looks good to someone who, who appreciates technique, but the casual person is like, well, he's, what is he doing? He's not preparing for a fight. That's him working on the low end, the volume, the, the, the easiest part of it, the, 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 the micro, if that makes sense, right? Just that chug at this small step, which is what I do too, as well. I, I try to tell people, you don't always have to be the hammer, sometimes you want to have that tech. Well, not sometimes at all times, you want to be able to have that technique at a beck and call, you know? Um, So this light pad work that you see him doing, I do believe is related to his hands. Um, Probably he just didn't want to break it again because he's money Mayweather and his hands are his money. Um, But also, you know, for health reasons, it sucks. I've, I've, I get hand pains now that were, if I'm riding a bike for too long, it feels like I'm going to fall off because I can't grip. And I'm not a professional fighter. So I can only imagine the volume of punching that he's done in his career that he's probably really careful when it comes to how he uses his hands. J- just an assumption. But you can see it in the in the light work,
2: right? Yeah, like uh, I think with – sorry, Anthony, were you going to go say something there?
0: Yeah. I was I was going to pivot. So if you want to keep on that, that same train of thought, please, please continue.
2: Oh, I, w- I was just going to say like, uh, with Mayweather, I thought that, uh, and this is just a theory of mine with the, with the pads, he's staying in range and he's going really softly and just letting his reflexes work. And that's actually mm-hmm. his strength as well. Like being able to be relaxed in the pocket. I wonder if, doing drilling that so much in that unique way allows him that relaxation and actual fight to carry over like that where most people and especially beginners and and you'll even see it in the pros try to hit the pads really hard and again it might just be social media thing where they're showcasing but you won't see a lot of soft pad work anyway being showcased so that's just a an aside mm-hmm. that i kind of you know hypothesize there.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there yeah
0: uh, it do you mind if I, I just want to ask a question because you are a GOTA coach and Will is mm-hmm. very, very into GOTA as well. And I wanted to kind of ask both your opinions on this because when I when I study a lot of martial footage, one of the things that I see that is not congruent with the GOTA philosophy just from first glance is some of the footwork positions that you get into in, in boxing and in kickboxing scenarios, where one of the main concerns mm-hmm. that GOTA has is the inside ankle bone low position position. Uh, that that you know contributes to a lot of obviously like hip, nip, uh, hip, knee and ankle issues, and I find that the the back leg of a lot of boxers you find is almost like parallel to, or like uh, perpendicular to the, the the front foot, and there's this sort of planting thing, and it, it you do find an inside ankle bone low position in a lot of boxing. Is there a, a, a go to perspective consideration when you're setting up your footwork, or do you find that? It's uh, it's less consequential. Like, what's your what's your take on that?
1: I think it. Um, you're you're going to be a great athlete if you're born a great athlete, right? Because there's going to be load of athletes that are. Look at LeBron James, right? It is something that you can get around, but I mean, from at least what I've, I've observed and what Go to coaches observed. You know, it puts you in a risk category for injury. It puts you in a risk category for uh, nagging injuries. Um, I What I would do is I don't like to take anything away from a fighter. Like, I don't want to say anything is bad. What I would oh. do is I would get them into go to Shapes and I'll let them see for themselves because that's how I discovered it. I found it on Instagram. I was like, all right, let me check this out. I tried it. And things were getting better that didn't need practicing. Like like I got better in a back squat and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like I I haven't back squatted in so long. That's really what sold me on it. I was like, I'm not doing the things, but I'm doing them better than I ever did before. When I was thinking of trying to create the perfect Astagrass squat. Now I'm just working back chain and opening up my hips. I'm just getting there really effortlessly. Um, and not that I do it regularly, it was just something like I can see how just opening up my hips and having a stronger foot is giving me more power for free, and um, that's what I try to bring. I don't, I, I don't want to change anything that they might think is. I don't want to give them a nocebo. I don't want mm. them. I, if if they're performing in a way that is not affecting them and it's working, then I'll leave it as is. I'll show them it, and if they feel that it is better, which most of the time they do, um, you, they, they'll adapt themselves, right? That, the whole mm-hmm. overanalyzing thing. They'll feel what's wrong when they're running, like, for, for, or not running, but training or whatnot. The reason why I said running is because what I'll do is I'll have people work out with no shoes on, and they're like, my feet are cramping, and my feet don't cramp when I work out. It's like, because you don't use them. Now that you have something that's given you uh, sensitivity, feeling, you're getting more engagement out of your foot muscles, getting more engagement out of your calves, and you try to macro it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: That that makes a lot of sense. I I love the point about not giving someone a nocebo either, like if it isn't causing any harm or it's like contextually – maybe a lower risk scenario where they're not dumping a ton of pressure into it. It, it, it wouldn't necessarily be uh, uh, something that you would you know, try to hammer out of them and get them over again, the, the whole overthinking thing. It's like, they're always trying to stay inside ankle bone high and get punched in the fucking face, which one's going to be, uh, which one's a little more dangerous at that point. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, you yeah, do yeah. see a lot of Hopefully, inside yeah. ankle bone. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. No yeah. one, you do see a lot of inside ankle bone low, but, you see a lot of it culturally, right? So mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna see it because we have a lot of it. Um, what I do is, I at three stages, right? There's the got you thinking about it. You think about it a little less, and then finally, you don't have to think about it. It just happens. That is what I'm trying to drill with them when it comes to the patterns, right?
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's what it is. Get them if they, and then you'll, they'll notice and they'll be like, Hey, when I did the thing you said, it felt different. Insert whatever word sport here. And it's like, well, yeah, I I thought it would, but I'm glad that you're telling me it instead of me. I noticed something early on when I was doing was like, how do you feel? Does it feel like this? Does it feel like that? I was telling them how to feel, which I, that's not a really good approach when you want someone to change behaviors. They have to be able to feel it because then they can associate feeling with a joint action or position and then they can practice it and then they can handcraft it according to their frame
2: mm. yeah i agree with with all that and and you do see a lot like especially with fighters that back leg inside ankle bone low no one's ever telling them this right like i thought you should push off the big toe that's the wisdom now right so there's never a problem I to have yeah, it was never a problem to have my inside ankle bone low in the back. As soon as I switched it, I've, I've said the story like three times, I got way more power, like a major percentage more power out of my back hand. And uh, another thing was landing in the bow, not even thinking about my punch, but thinking about landing in the bow made my right hand much, much stronger just because I knew I would be balanced. I knew where to catch my balance. I knew how to transfer the balance after where before I was going off balance um because I didn't land in that bow so that's a not even a like I didn't have to do any bag work I just thought of my feet and because of you know knowing Goda and understanding it at a nuanced level I was able to transfer it immediately but for a fighter that would be very hard
0: um I just pulled up your Instagram page because Will said there was a specific question he had
2: okay so um that top right video where the guy's punching there Mm -hmm. yeah so Rudy, can you see the video here?
1: I can, but it's like really, really small, but I, I can see and I've looked okay, at Okay. This
2: what I'm talking about anyway. So the fighter here, he's side slipping the jab and he's coming over and you call this a hand drag. Can you run us through what's happening in the body and how he's transferring power here and, and maybe try to keep in mind that the audience may not see this. So a description would be
0: yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we do record these live on nofilter.net where you can see the actual videos that we're sharing. We do have some visual elements. So if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, go to nofilter.net. You can go to my profile and watch the video replay of this as well. But Rudy, you can go ahead and try to break it down audio style for us for the time being.
1: All right. So as you can see, when he goes slow, watch when he, he puts that front foot forward, his weight is shifted in his back leg, right? That's a back leg load. Mm. But he's moving forward. So it's almost like an aggressive defense position. He's able to return fire by turning his hip over. And as you can see, it's, I, well, it's hard for me to see here, but I call it the arm drag because your torso spins, which is dragging your arm behind it. And the shape of your arm changes the line of fire. So if you think like an open hook from Canelo, It's going to be round. It's going to be really round because it's a long hook. If you think of a counter from Floyd Mayweather, it's a straight line. But the underlying mechanism is the same, right? And he's able to use this bounce to feed the bow. The hip turns, which turns his sternum. His sternum is dragging his arm behind him. Now I can be really wide with it, or I can be really tight with it. If you think about arm wrestling, it's not from here, it's from here. I'm using my body. Um, a cue that I saw from this guy on YouTube, well, I I don't know him personally, I know his son, his name is Ron Lipton, Hall of Fame uh, referee for uh, boxing in New York and New Jersey. Um, and you'll see his videos on YouTube, They're they're like from 12 years ago, so it looks like... Like a like an old phone, old piece of technology, but he can work, work the bag. He has power. He, he's, he's brilliant. He talks about a punch, especially a right down the pipe. He's like, it's almost kind of like I'm arm wrestling, right? I want to get here with my body, and then it comes. And all he's doing is manipulating his torso, and the plyometric of that spin is – elastically bringing that arm into a position. And that's how you get the snappy strikes, learning how to train. I always do this, right? This shoulder shrugs, right? And I use rope flow because this is the shake or the shimmy that you want to be able to get. And it's not just left, right? It's up, down, left, right. So you'll see people kind of do this row, right? And you'll see sometimes the best boxers won't even come and finish a punch all the way. They'll kind of just do this because they're working that figure eight that that aerobos, right mm-hmm. and it's at the hip as well so if you are able to use the hip turnover effectively which means you got a strong foot that's not going to collapse and cut off that turnover and you kind of couple the torso with the hip right so you have your hip drive back chain punch because you're coming backwards first right i want to use my musculature behind me when i land and there's a there's i haven't put these out yet i haven't done the full breakdown but i call it a back chain flash you'll see on the real powerful boxers just like canelo like floyd mayweather bernard hopkins in one particular video i put up in my story a while ago their musculature in the back lights up Now, this only happens if you're if you're using it, right? If I do this, it's going to be more relaxed. But if I want if I see that musculature engage or shorten, you're going to see him light up like he's posing, like he's showing off his traps. You'll see this flash of back chain engagement, blur, and then you see impact. So the idea is my front chain doesn't bring the hand forward. My rotation brings the hand forward but I'm actually going backwards to a particular degree. And I have certain drills that I give away, or I shouldn't say give away, that I I put out so that people can start to experiment and play with them. And I've gotten some good feedback. This one coach, Coach George Lopez on Instagram, um, he messaged me and told me he started to notice a difference um, in his striking how he felt more snappier. And also, I create a threat with every movement I do. If I'm doing this coming forward, my head movement is threatening. So it causes you to think, where is this guy going to hit me from? Creating more opportunities, especially if you understand orthodox and southpaw in real time. Because like what Will was talking about before, just by switching positions, I Mm. give myself double the arsenal I had before. Does that make sense? Right? I can create more of an advantage just by changing which front leg is in front of me, just like you said about angles, but at a much tighter degree, right? An angle is going to be different, whether my my right leg or my left leg is in front of me with respect to the opponent, which is a little bit more of an advanced concept that I, I, I'll touch on in the future. Right now, I'm just trying to get people to understand the arm drag because people think ooga booga punch, right? They think I had this one, this one coach said he calls him a henny hook. i was like it's like kind of like punches you'll see somebody drunk throwing like i want to just end your life these mean the um i forgot what they're called no love punches Mm. it's not that it can be that right it can be that but i can take that same mechanism and thread it through a needle and that is where you get your touch of death does
2: that make sense yeah yeah that's it absolutely makes sense and just one question or a couple questions here Um, with the arm drag, I noticed that his hand does come down a little bit away from his chin. Now, are you concerned about that or are you promoting that as like a, a bouncing mechanism for the fascia?
1: I, I recommend it to a degree. So one, if you play at regular speed, right, if you just watch that video in regular speed, the window is like that, right? But then again, that's the only amount you need to go to sleep right so there's risk reward but as you know well there is no perfect defense there's no no, everything you do is going to have an opening if I have a high guard my body is exposed if I'm square I'm easier to hit even though I'm more durable durability is not a gift everyone has I, I certainly don't I know I was banged up a bunch of times hence why I leaned more towards a Floyd Mayweather style Philly shell because more of the time you are you're you're missing blows or they're glancing off of you versus someone who's just going to be more durable and eat those hits. It is, um, it's not a perfect game. You just want your experience in real time to help you cover gaps that appear. Now his hand does come down and back, but there, there are times where I can do the same thing because I can uncouple my shoulder, right? This right? It's the same as this. And I never left my chin, right? So I can get that. Boom. I can still get that bounce. My power is going to be off, but I'll have enough that I can make him effectively respect my striking.
2: Yeah. Um, it, it's a double-edged sword for me because it's almost like practicing an inside ankle bone high where it's not going to show up inside ankle bone high when I sprint. Right. But I still want to do it in practice where the arm drag for me is how much do I actually use the fascial recoils and have my hand away from my face, especially because I'm not a fighter, right? I just like to use the movements and feel the movements. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, basically from there, it like I've learned Soviet boxing and it's very disciplined with your hands, right? Like you don't drop your hands, you use the rotations and pop out of it. It's actually very interesting. I don't know if you've looked into it, but, uh, they're very into the ankles very into rotations and very into the kinetic chain and you won't see a lot of arm drag from that system Mm -hmm. so it's just a a question that i had about them
1: no yeah what i what i would say is the arm drag is very nuanced where it's i can like i said before here i'll I'll show you kind of right so can you guys see my shoulders clearly can, Ray, is, is, can you see my shoulders? Your see video it. is
0: actually cut out for me. Can you, can you turn your video off and on and just see if we can uh, get your video back online? I don't know what happened, right. the video just cut out. Let's see.
1: There we go. Okay. Oh, yeah, you're back. You're back. Nice. All right. My shoulders, right? Um, wait, what were we about to touch on again?
2: Uh, arm drag.
1: <laughs> arm drag. We yes, are. yes. Okay. All right. So. On the 10 scale, on the exaggerated scale, which I like to use as an awareness thing, right? I keep my arm all the way back here, right? I can bring my hand forward without ever extending because I'm just turning. The key is this, right? You see how I'm just bringing my shoulder back? That's an arm drag. If I can bring this back like this, right? That's an arm drag. I can be tight as hell like a Floyd Mayweather counter because my slit is going to feed that counter torque at the top and then release and you'll see you'll see, I can do it without even leaving my face because the movement is from the center I can change in order to adapt to the range that's necessary so I've shown I can show you guys from the old days like Sugar Ray Leonard to newer days like Canelo and these are high-level guys that are using these techniques. But then again, there's a risk-reward to it. But that is the sport. You're risking just going in there. There's people that fight with their hands completely low. Izzy switches it up sometimes. So it is a matter of experience. It's a matter of reaction time, and it's a matter of study. Because the more you look at the more you look at fighters, the more you want to embody those fighters, and which is part of why I think a lot of high level fighters have this behavior reflexively is because they're probably well studied. You know what I mean? You're, you're not only studying your opponent, but you're studying historically to find what is going to help you overcome this guy's particular strategy that's helping him winning. So my counter to it is that the arm drag is not a ooga booga punch. <laughs> it doesn't have to be this wide thing. I can be tight and still be able to do it. Tyson is a perfect example. He's a peekaboo guy. And he is what we'll say is the, the, what I would say is the like epitome of someone who throws these really wide, powerful angles and he can do it tight. And he flipped the custom the D'Amato shift, right? it was strike so powerful. He ended up in a different stance because of the energy flip and um, Again, it's risk-reward. Do I want to open myself up? And if I do, it doesn't have to be incredibly... My favorite thing to do, that I tell people, is I'll jam up into my opponent and throw that arm wrestling punch I was talking about where I just spin, right? Just, this is all I got to do right here because that's going to be more powerful than just trying to tap them like this because my body will just kind of touch them. And it's usually enough, but also I am a bigger guy. But... I think it is a hip-driven back chain punch, which we know is forward locomotive, or at least if you subscribe to GOTA, you would say it's a forward locomotive behavior. So you are just entrenching those behaviors into your combat
2: movements. Absolutely. Um, So with the, uh, just pivoting off that, You made me think like Canelo really is the example of that. Like right now, especially how he fights, he's very high guard. Not a lot of footwork uh, compared to before, right? He's very still and he uses the gyroscope of his upper body to do a lot of the probing within the inside, right? So he's not doing, you know, back and forth, Manny Pacquiao footwork or anything like that. He's using the, yeah, the gyroscope of his upper body to do the work. At the same time with the high guard, what comes to mind is the fight with uh Russian guy, what's his name? Um, uh, I forget. It was his last three fights anyway, and he he knocked him out. Uh, Basically, he was stalking. No, 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 it wasn't Glovkin. It was after that. Bigger guy. Um, It'll come to my mind anyway. Yeah, anyway, he, he stalked him with his hands up, and he was doing that same thing. High guard, and then he came out with a wide hook. And that hook looked like it was coming to his belly, which he did three or four times before the guard comes down, and halfway through the punch, he switched the trajectory. It becomes a whole different punch. Yes. It's amazing because when you try it, it's like you have to be loose to be able to do it, but at the same time, he's coming at you with a high guard, so it's it's like this dichotomy thing. You can see it looks like a simple punch, but not at all, right? Like, it's very, very complicated to get that looseness being tight, but then loose as you throw, so that's very interesting that I never had a word for it. Arm drag is it's like literally, I think, great for, the, for that. Yeah, that's concept. the reason
1: why I use that word. I have initially, I mean, I've thought about different ways to like word it or call it a thing. Um, but I found the arm drag to be the most effective because it helps to connect, I make it as simple as possible. If I have to give you a cue, it's do this, drag your arm, and then you'll see whatever, and then you'll try to emulate what you're trying to get them to capture, right? And that's even harder when there's no nuance with social media but understanding that underlying behavior it's undeniable you'll feel the power when you hit the bag and the bag is more forcefully moving from you or i call it bending the bag right some people will hit the bag and it'll sway other people will hit the bag and it'll turn into a a capital l and that's how you know they have a more piercing powerful punch and once you start to develop that and fine tune it and those extrinsic uh feedbacks start to synergize with the intrinsic feedback you develop that autonomic ability to again the t- touch of death you know
2: uh that fighter was named uh, Serger kovalev it's the kovalev knockout take a look at it on on youtube uh, i'm sure you've seen it but uh for the audience members take a look at that knockout Watch the uh, the lead up to it maybe a minute before he hits him in the body and then stalks him, comes at him, looks like he's going to the body, changes in mid-direction up to the head, and then he knocks him out. Uh, check it out on YouTube, Sergey Kovalev, Canelo Alvarez. Sorry, Anthony, I cut you off there. What were you going to say?
0: No, I, I had nothing. I was just going to say I was, I, I'll, I'll try to pull it up now.
2: Okay, sweet. Yeah. He does it in a lot of fights, actually. He does it in um, Kirkland fight. Uh, he does it in, uh, uh, what's his face? He does that hand arm drag in the, um, wh- who is the Puerto Rican boxer again? Really good. He fought Mayweather as well. Cotto? Yeah, Cotto. The Cotto, Cotto fight, he does it really well. That slip and then over the top, that was a nice arm drag. So that's another one there. I'll uh, I'll throw that up on the stories tonight
1: yeah definitely check that out and if you want to see the arm drag i I have a video i'll probably throw it up on my stories ryan garcia is doing this shoulder pummeling right he's kind of doing this roll right again if you look at it real slow right if i think this shoulder's coming back right if i just do this this shoulder in response is going to come forward right so it's almost like i'm rolling backwards like this and this in itself is an arm drag. It doesn't even have to just be solely from the hip. Sometimes I don't have that ability to turn my hip over, but if I can bring this shoulder back like this, it's going to bring this one forward. Does that make sense? Right?
2: Absolutely. And my shoulder
1: is going to have to—they have to turn because they're connected. It's a chain, right? And the the, way the easy aim. model. If,
2: Sorry. The ahead. easy model would be if this is if this is the spine here. You just have a T at the top. And it's always rotating yes. like that. It has to go together. But also you have the fascia between the two shoulder blades that if one comes back, it pulls the other. So that could be part yeah, of the arm hard. drag mechanism as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. Were yeah. you cool. finding that video, Anthony? Audio.
0: Sorry. Yeah, you so said it was Sergey versus Canelo?
2: Sergey Kovalev.
0: Sergey Kovalev versus Canelo, but who knocks out? Yeah.
2: who? Canelo knocks out Sergey Kovalev.
0: Okay, cool. I was I was watching all these videos and I was like, is, is Sergey knocking people out or is he being knocked out? well, he's like he's I'm really good knockout
2: artist himself, but Canelo took him out at a lighter weight, right? That's why it's so interesting to watch Canelo work. It's just it's brilliant stuff, and it's great because he doesn't have. Oh, here it is. He just he just did it already, and he's going for the last punch. But that was the, 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 it's the setup punch to that. So here, see he comes in and he looked like he was going to the body, but he changed his the head.
1: Yep, yep, yep. yep he um, dips down, oh, boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So that look, that frame that Kovalev saw of him dipping, his brain registered, I need to protect my body because last three times I got hit, that's exactly what happened. Canelo knows this, boom, comes up to the head, and, and that's the knockout. It looks oh. simple, but it's actually extremely brilliant, right? So that's awesome stuff.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. Tricking it's the other person's nervous system to anticipate a body shot. So he's pulling down. Yeah, that's, that's yes, crazy. Yes,
1: exactly, exactly. Which comes, right? When you anticipate something, you're paying respect to that thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, that's going to hurt me. I need to put my arm down all of a sudden Canelo comes over the top. So that that's, that that's touches on two things that I was talking about earlier. One, making a lot of things look the same, right? So I'd say the drop-in looks like... Uh, let, let's say, for instance, I'm in a southpaw and I'm dropping into my right leg. It'll look like a cross. It'll look like a slip. It'll look like I'm taking a single for his lead leg if he is in whatever position, right? I can turn this into a multi-level threat with the simplest of movements. So I get to economize my energy to touch on what William was talking about before the smallest of movements is all I need to get out the way. So the less energy I'm using to move out the way, the more I'm going to be able to deliver to you or over the long haul of 12 rounds when it comes to boxing, which is why you want to really just have them, blows glance off of you instead of these big drastic movements because they create bigger openings or you're going to get tired if you're taking sure a backstep works right but if you're fighting on your bike the whole time by the time you do have to fight your punches aren't going to be as strong you're going to be more winded probably going to be more telegraphy so yeah I basically what we're talking about here when it comes to that underlying mechanic that is what becomes the threat. And if you don't know where it's coming from and you can switch it to either side, you're literally gonna have to in real time decide and not be sure exactly what's coming. And if it's power, it's gonna hurt. Even if I block, it's gonna hurt.
0: Hmm.
1: Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it really does. Absolutely. Okay. You
1: have
2: any other questions, Anthony?
0: Yeah. Just to give some people some practical stuff, if 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 people are listening and are are kind of feeling like me in terms of they don't have this like I love observing this and I'm seeing new things. And I do highly recommend if you're listening to this, go even even if you don't want to go watch our replay, go on YouTube and go watch some of these mm-hmm. boxing uh, slow motion videos and observe what's happening and see if you can start seeing the nuances yourself because it is a whole other level of training your eye. I'm seeing things that I've never seen before listening to this conversation and trying to watch the video. That's why I've been more of a passive participant in this, this episode is because yeah. I feel like I'm trying to assimilate and learn um, from the perspective. If someone is feeling like I am and feel like they're trying to assimilate and understand some of this stuff, what is a basic practice a person could get into to start viscerally experiencing or introducing martial training or martial awareness into their movement practice?
1: Um, apart- if you're just going to do it on your own, if you're just going to do it flat out on your own to, like, test the waters, YouTube is a great resource when it comes to the basics. I love rope flow for the basics of the movement because it's low impact and you're, again, working on that that shoulder rotational figure eight. I love rope flow. I think, actually, Dave Quack is incredibly brilliant for rope flow because it just – literally ties in to the the fight game, right? If I'm doing this, I'm moving my head just by rolling my shoulders. This could be enough, right? Just turning this, if you watch Canelo, that is enough to miss a really hard blow, and you're basically conditioning it when you're using row flow. Or if you tighten it up, you can think more of like a, a, a liquid defense where I can go cross guard, high guard, flowing, which is something... Another thing that I'm kind of working on where, um, again, this all adds threats. If I look like I'm just defending and I kind of snake turn you, all of a sudden this elbow comes through and it's going to hurt. But I can also kind of redirect punches if they're coming in, right? I could redirect those missiles coming in. If I am an MMA, I can hand trap you and come over just by kind of doing this. All just in this double matador type movement here, right? Or or, or, similar to like a, a speed bag mm. right learning the the churning that churning and how I can use this just by moving my shoulders that change the line of fire right I've never extended once and look at the angles I'm taking and that is where that back chain uh, punching comes in so rope flow YouTube um, and uh, apart from that just going somewhere and doing it and uh, doing something you think you'll like don't do it just because you think it's the best um i turned out to like muay thai but i chose it because i thought it was going to be the best thing um but that can also be limiting because i was like i'm a muay thai fighter i'm gonna be able to kick anybody's legs out from underneath them then you take a punch to the face and you're like oh well, wait maybe i need a little bit more <laughs> i need a little bit more boxing knowledge here or you get tied into a, I, so I went to pro, uh, I go to this mixed martial arts gym up in uh, Hudson Valley, New York, and um, I remember my first Brazilian jiu jitsu class, and I basically got choked out by someone that was literally like a, a 120 pounds, right? She's a professional fighter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but she was able to. She would she would have killed me. When you tap out, it's like <laughs> oh I died, you killed me, right? She yeah. would literally <laughs> killed me just by getting into a position using her frame. And, you know, enjoy what you're doing, right? And mm-hmm. that's the reason why I, I say uh, uh, bringing a tonic approach. Because if you like doing it, you're going to do it a lot. So I try to make people like moving. And then it's like, hey, can I come in? Instead of, ah, oh, man, I got to work out. Or they'll just do it themselves, right? And that's, that's, that's the key, right? To changing the behavior. It's a movement behavior so you have to get them to see the value feel the value and then they'll live it you know i
2: i love i love that concept like everything you said there turn it into play i I would structure it like if i was learning if i didn't know anything right off the get-go i would learn footwork right like footwork and shadow boxing and uh like i I mix a lot of dancing with that there's a really good program on dynamicstriking.com by ben sava ben sava and it's a footwork program just basically getting you to understand footwork and shadow boxing and how to apply that. Now, I would take the go to principles, put that in the footwork. So then you have the best of both worlds, start playing around with it. Um, from there, it really is. If you want to get into fighting, you got to actually get in there and do it. But if you want to just do it kind of like I do it, that's what I would do. Get the go to footwork. Uh, the rope flow is amazing. I agree with that. I just, I love working the engines like the shoulder engines and the gyroscopes and, and it's such an easy, low-impact way to do it, and it stimulates the brain. I'd get that going, and uh, yeah, just start practicing on a bag, and and uh, actually do the footwork maneuvers in the go-to patterns. Bow corners, bow I mean, corner.
1: Just to add on to what he was saying, you also want to kind of like, there's always this level of competition when you're when you're learning. Because you're always comparing yourself to somebody else, or or what you see in a video, and you and you're not feeling it. I try to pull out my ego as much from a situation as possible. So, like, I, 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 meaning with Olympic lifting, right? It's basically competitively like three movements. The, the, if you're thinking about a, a power clean, right? There's going to be days where you, where if you've been training it consistently, like, oh, I fucking got it. That's smooth. I'm, 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 I got this. Two days later, it's like, I can't get hit the hole. My timing is off. I'm weak. It's this up and down battle that the more you allow it to just happen, instead of like, oh, I need to do this, I need to perfect it, the more I find it to be enjoyable, the easier it is to learn because you're not essentially, uh, you're not hampering yourself with limitations. Like I need to do this to get to the next level. Experience it like, like what Will was talking about. Get in there and take your lumps because that is part of it. And then you learn what lumps you can't take and what lumps you can't avoid. And that's when you start to enjoy it. Then you walk around like, I can beat this guy's ass. Hey, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the level so, so of confidence you get.
0: <laughs> so I have a really specific question because you do have a Muay Thai background. And I'm actually going to Tulum in a couple of days and I'm meeting up with an old buddy who's a retired pro MMA fighter. And he asked me to go train him and to teach him some of the functional fitness stuff that I've been talking about. And he has a Muay Thai fight. He's, he's getting back in. He's like, you know, I'm not, it's, it's pretty oh, nice. exhibition. It's not pro, but I'm going to go do a Muay Thai fight. Cause I really miss, you know, MMA. He's, he might be retired from the pro stuff, but he wants to get back into it. So mm-hmm. I was going to show him a lot of go to principles, a little bit of the WEC stuff, maybe some core fist just to, you know, for, for some of the hitting the bag stuff. But in terms of how, being a certified go to coach and being someone who has experienced principally in Mu- Muay Thai. How do you think, uh, what, what's like the biggest takeaway if I'm going to go show him some, some basic stuff beyond just like the, the global laws of go to movement, how would I relate that to his fight that he has for uh Muay Thai?
1: Um, so my method, I kind of developed this so, go to has this thing called gate analysis Right. Or not getting out a pre-movement screening, um, where you are looking at the joints, right, and see how they behave with respect to uh, whether it's GOTA or woda, right? You put them in, in, a, in, a, in a classification. I kind of used that to build what I call a combat movement assessment, where you just look at the guy doing stuff. Right. And then you, you, you try and see where the Woda shows up. Is his foot weak? Does his foot collapse and extend in a kick instead of have a rigid pivot? Is he arm dragging? Maybe he's so braced and technical that he's actually front chain punching. And with time, it's going to hurt, especially if you're a former... I'm not saying he is, but if you're a former fighter, think of the amount of coding you did in order to put autonomic responses into something. So it could be... Something that might have hampered him, and you can. Basically, what I'm saying is, you want to look at his movement. You want to see, and then address it like that. So, for me, it's, I almost always start at the foot because most people have a either a, a weak foot or unconditioned foot. Now, if he did Muay Thai, he probably has a, a strong foot mm-hmm. because of um, just the way you're supposed to be in your Muay Thai sense. A lot of Muay Thai fighters tend to be goa if you look at them, senchai, mm-hmm. ratang. There's a lot of them. Um. So if that's not the case, then you look at his hip and see. Or maybe he is more front-chain than he is back-chain. It's just a, maybe a simple moving of things. And then I once I kind of have this idea of where he is, I will address it with what I think needs to be worked on. Maybe he needs to be more, more back-chain. Hmm. Let's go on the ground, do some rockers, and maybe an air chair. Or if he needs footwork, um, start to strengthen that foot. I find most of the time strengthening the foot tends to like people just discover things on their own. Like, Oh man, my kicks are harder because of, because now I actually have a pivot and not this, you know, this, I'm not, uh, I'm not walking in quicksand anymore. Now totally. I have a surface to, to, to roll on. Um, so that would be my strategy. Just, uh, I would look at them with the, with the go to mindset I I would still even have them, I still have them do the pre-movement screenings. It's just when I'm doing it specifically for a combat athlete, I'll say, well, we got to look at that tape to see how it relates to this. And then I'll be like, well, you see it shows up here, it shows up here, it -hmm. shows up here. Let's regress it and let's work at it on this then and work on it from both sides so we can get to that fine point. Um, Again, using the intrinsic feedback. So he finds that point instead of saying, no, this is wrong, stop doing it. Because then there's a chance he'll pull movements out of autonomic And Mm. back into like an associative behavior, like all right, maybe I should be pivoting. Now I'm sleeping. So, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally, totally. (laughs) I I think that that was sort of. I'm uh, kind of going
1: off the cuff a little bit. That was kind of of that was
0: sort of my plan. I was you know I was gonna try and get him assessed in terms of just standing and walking and even running and to see what his natural tendencies are and then get him to hit a bag and just show me, it's like, all right, you know, go, go do some kicks, go throw some punches, show me some elbows. And where, where is your, where's your pivot happening on your foot? Where's your power generating from? Are you exactly way back here? Are you able to lean into your back chain a little bit more? I was going to, I was going to relate the gate to the, the martial element, Mm -hmm. but this is the first, you know, I'm, I'm very new to, relating biomechanics and and efficient biomechanics to a martial application so while i was going to do all this movement assessment with him and i was going to show him how to you know train intense in a biomechanically secure way I was also, I also have this unique challenge of like, Oh, this is a Muay Thai fighter. Like I, I I understand the basics of, of biomechanics and they should be universal, but the martial application is so different than just forward locomotion or even cutting or sprinting and all all the things that I've sort of specialized to understand in my own training, my own exploration. It's totally new. Um, unfortunately guys, I got, I got to wrap up, but Rudy, man, thanks so much for hopping on. If people want to learn more about your work or work with you directly, what's the best place for people to find
1: you? instagram right that's instagram. where i put all my work that's where i'm reachable that's where i talk to people in real time um and yeah that's that's the best way to reach me and that's at the handcraft underscore so
0: the, yes, at the handcraft craft. underscore so you can go catch rudy there um it's been super super good will any closing thoughts closing questions before we wrap up here
2: um no i was just gonna add something small to that last one. i would say fighters stances are very tricky and uh th- they've married to one perhaps depends how much time you have with them i would just show them the go to footwork maybe even show him you know if you stand like this in the backdrop show them the backdrop for sure because a lot of fighters don't get into their back hip um <laughs> they'll figure it out on their own it all depends on how receptive they are and how much time they have and don't force anything on a fighter because they're very married to their systems. Like much of us are right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yes. People are very married to their systems. I, I just, before I go on a rant, I'll keep it short. Just telling people to fight in a different stance, they'll say, no, no, you got to master the one stance. If you go to the other side, you're going to make things more difficult. And all you're doing is putting one leg in front of the other, but it becomes, no, you need to be this way, master this, and then you can worry about that stuff. You're getting too ahead of yourself. And that's like, at, even at the basic levels, when I argue, like, you probably learn twice as fast because you're using the other half of your body, you know?
2: Agreed. So, yeah. yeah. I'm- it's huge. Yeah thanks for coming on rudy that was awesome yeah thanks so
0: much thank for you. doing this for episode with me. us man this was this was a really cool conversation i have a lot to think about and a lot more to study and we'd love to have you back on um i'm gonna watch a lot more footage and see if i can kind of get the hang of this and see if i can come back with my own commentary down the road and um but thank again thanks for thanks for joining guys this was episode 48 of the art of move thanks for listening you can check out our upcoming shows on nofilter.net we'll catch you next time
2: have a good one guys